Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of our 7 Investing Podcast, where it's our mission to empower you to invest in your future. You can learn out more about our long-term investing approach and also see our top stock recommendations each and every month at 7investing.com slash subscribe. My name is Simon Erickson. I'm joined by fellow 7 Investing Lead Advisor, Anirban Mahanti. Anirban, uh, we've started doing something new, which is where we've been offering conviction ratings for all of the stocks that we issue out there. And as part of this, uh, we're actually been issuing also some market commentary, which is kind of framing, you know, not only do we think these are the best stocks to buy, but why and what do we see bigger picture that's going on out there? And so you and I have kind of collectively said, maybe we should share some of that in the podcast about how we're thinking about various factors of the economy, of the macro, things like that. So we're going to give this a shot, see how it goes. Uh, and anything before we kind of jump into today's first session, everyone, it's always a pleasure chatting with you about these things. Yeah, look, Simon, I'm really excited about this in the sense that, you know, it's it's really nice to just take a step back and, you know, talk about, well, you know, what does what's happening in the economy? How does that impact businesses? Um, you know, where are businesses headed? And this is not really about trying to predict the short term. So it's just trying to sort of gain a perspective. So, you know, uh, so, you know, you and I are going to chat and try to lean on each other and understand, you know, sort of, you know, that get to that second level, third level thinking. And yeah, and, and we'll see how it goes. And yeah, if people have got uh, comments that they can email us or, you know, talk to us on Twitter, uh, share your thoughts, tell us what you want to hear, and we'll, we'll try to work some of that in. Absolutely. Info at 7investing.com if you want to email us at 7investing if you want to send us a Twitter message. Um, and by the way, our advisor updates come out on the 15th of each month. That's where you actually want to see the conviction rating reviews that we were discussing. Uh, but Anirban, something that you and I both spend a lot of time thinking about is valuation. We incorporate different valuation models. Obviously, these are sensitive to other factors outside of the company's control. And so our first episode that we're filming here is going to be a chat about inflation and the macro of what's going on out there. Uh, so we wanted to kind of break this into, first of all, how does the Fed think about inflation? Secondly, what, what levers can it pull to actually influence uh, inflation rates? And then the third being, what does this actually mean for investors? You know, if you're doing valuation models, if you're looking at certain metrics, you know, what does this actually mean if you're investing in stocks? And so how about, Anirban, if you could kick us, kick us off by kind of talking about um, what does the Fed even look at for inflation? There's so many different kind of metrics and things that we can look at out there. How do they evaluate a lot of these things? Yeah, thanks, Simon. So, you know, like inflation has, is high. Uh, or has been high. Everyone knows that because you know, if you're going and spending, whether it is you know paying for your coffee or burgers or whatever, you've been paying more, so you just kind of notice it. Uh, and the first thing to realize about inflation is that you know the way the Fed thinks about, or anyone actually, all economists think about inflation is really they think about year-over-year trends, right? So how is inflation changing, right? We're not you know we're not looking at you know the absolute price three years ago of a burger was five bucks. Now it may be seven. It's not probably going back to five bucks, but how fast is it increasing is what people are interested in. Now, the, the common measures that we talk, we hear is that CPI is one of them, which is a basic consumer price index. Basically, is a basket of goods um, that is being followed and their price increases on a year-over-year basis, right? Um, now, CPI was sort of the central measure for the Fed until maybe up to year 2000 or something like that. Uh, but they ran, they ran a study, which basically says that CPI sort of doesn't really capture the full intent uh, of how consumers are spending their money. 
and how, you know, and, and the simple way to think about this is sometimes you can just do substitution of goods, right? So the CPI basically is a basket of goods with a certain weight attached to each of them. If you do substitution, you know, if something's price goes up and you can substitute it, well, then, you know, that really doesn't impact how people are spending their money, right? So the capture of how people are actually spending their money, they, you know, there's another in index that's popularly followed, just, you know, which is consumer price expenditure or CPE index. The Fed's preferred metric is to look at CPE, right? Because it allows for that substitution. It, it follows a much wider basket of things. And, um, you know, if you read uh, the, the FOMC minute, you'd see that that's, that's what I'm sort of they follow. In fact, they, they would follow CPE at volatile items, but let's just focus on CPE um, uh, for, for, the, for the time being. Well, what, what we have really seen with the CPE is that those numbers have just been coming down uh, you know, the, the last reading of November was something like 2.6. Um, you know, it's a year over year increase of 2.6%. That's pretty close to the 2% sort of mandate that the Fed has, right? The, fi the final thing to remember with inflation is, um, and all of these measures is, is that, you know, sort of the, the rate increases that the Fed have done, you know, the Fed really tightened the market, right? So they increased interest rates. I mean, come, that, come to that in a bit. Um, what that does is it reduces various types of expenditure that people have, right? So you pull back on your spending, companies reduce, uh, you know, the capex and things like that. Uh, all of that thing feeds it with a delay, right? If, if the price increases today is 2.6, it actually means that inflation is really under control now. Uh, now, of course, there's a lag. This is what I'm talking about. And, and because of that lag, you know, you could, you know, you could say that, well, you know, the Fed's job is mostly basically done. And that's sort of that, what the Fed has implied uh, in its last meeting that, you know, looks like we are sort of at the peak rate. And uh, Nirvan, for those who are watching the video of this, you might be noticing that the sun is rising for you out there in Sydney, Australia <laughs> right now. It's gradually setting for me out here in Houston. Uh, you know, you are in Australia, which is uh, different than the United States, but it, does it similarly follow the same inflation kind of path as the U.S. out there? Or how do you think about inflation internationally? Yeah, so oh, different, uh, almost every developed economy, developing economy, they all have their own, uh, you know, bureaus that do the, do the measurements. And uh, sort of a similar trend is, is experienced by most of these countries. It, it doesn't necessarily follow exactly like what's happening in the U.S., but, uh, you know, for, for like, for example, if you're thinking about U.S. businesses, I think, and, and in general for stocks, given that the, uh, you know, the U.S. dollar and the, and the Fed is sort of, you know, the U.S. dollar being the reserve currency, um, you know, large, large chunk of the, the, the companies and the public are out in the, are listed in the U.S. It's, it's useful to follow what the Fed is saying. Um, but yeah, the general trends are the same. That inflation is falling everywhere. Some of it, you know, some places more rapidly than the others. Um, but yeah, the general trend is just there. And you know, ultimately, we are coming out of a severe economic destabilization, space was the pandemic and closures and all of those things. And we had other issues alongside. You know, there's been like um, issues such as uh, you know overordering of things, a shortage of supplies. You know, so therefore you know we have had cargo prices go up. The cargo prices go down, but a lot of destabilization. You know, what's funny is that the, is the economy as a whole is such a system that it works in equilibrium and in balance really well. But if you throw in a little disturbance, and, and this was not a little disturbance, it was a big disturbance, 
things can be chaotic and it's been chaotic for some time, right? So, you know, I think we're just getting to the other side now. Yeah, it certainly is. And, and certainly Jerome Powell with the Fed has been one of the most memed, you know, loved slash hated, whatever, whatever you want to, depending on the, on the moment of the macro, it seems like for so long, zero interest rate policy, you know, the Fed held rates near zero. Uh, so to encourage growth of the economy, very, very dovish, you know, very, very good for business, very, very pro growth. And then of course, recently in the last couple of years, like we've seen with inflation hitting six, 7%, they kind of had to come back and say, hey, we've got to raise rates to slow this economic train down a little bit. And that's certainly what we've seen. It's been a constriction of the economy. You know, when you, we were a year ago looking at inflation rates at 6 or 7%, like you mentioned now in Europe, on 2.6% in the most recent reading, the expectation of 2.3 for that CPE personal expenditure um, reading in 2025, and then down to 2%, 2%, which is what Powell said he wanted to get to by 2026. Um, there's a lot of discussions about, you know, is it working? Generally accepted, at least right now, it seems to be that inflation is getting tamed a little bit more. Uh, we've talked about dot plots. As we kind of segment to the second part of this, it's like, what tools does the Fed actually have to control inflation? And we've seen that you certainly they've raised interest rates very, very quickly. Um, right now, we're at a target rate of about 5.25 to 5.5% for the Fed's fund rate, which is the highest that it's been really in about 20 years, since really the year 20, 2002. And there's a lot of discussion already that the Fed is going to actually pull back on, on rates a little bit here in 2024. Uh, there's already been the discussion of three individual quarter rate reductions um, down to around a 4.5% or so, or 4.75% by the end of 2024. That's on the table. That's what's being reported in the media, uh, at least according to what's been seen for the Fed's dot plots right now. Of course, it's totally up to Powell. He's going to look at data in every one of these meetings on a standalone basis. but. Um, and Nirvana, what's your take on this? I, I think that all things equal, a reduction in the Fed funds rate, a reduction in interest rates would similarly reduce the discount rate that is used to value stocks and all other things considered. Uh, that's pretty good for investors going forward. That, that's right. So, uh, so the, you know, the Fed dot plots, basically the median point, as you said, suggests three rate cuts. There are some people out there, um, some economists predicting up to six rate cuts, right? And and, and, and you should just circle that point before. And the reason this is important is if you keep the environment tight for too long, you can get into recession. Right now, you've got sort of this really like, you know, um, so the, the, the holy grail of, you know, you've tightened the economy enough. You haven't slowed down. So there's enough jobs being created. There's enough number of jobs being created. GDP is still growing, right? So all of those good things are happening. You know, you still have growth. You still have jobs. If you tighten too much, you might get into a recession, which is sort of the risk, right? So that's why some people think that, you know, you might have more cuts otherwise. But uh, so, so basically, if you think of the Fed, as you said, it's between what, 5.25 5 uh, and 5, right? 5.5. Uh, so that's the sort of rate premium because you could just invest in the treasury uh, and get that. So you, when you're investing in the stock market, you want more than that because you're taking the risk of individual business and, you know, their performance. So, uh, you know, you'd add another, let's say, four or five percentage points to that in terms of what you would expect in return. So that's based on our discount rate, right? Now, then not, you know, discount rate would consider other things like, you know, in, in sort of uh, theoretical terms, we look at the weighted average cost of capital. We would think about the beta, but that's, you know, the beta is basically taking into account volatility. But if you, let's say, you're not interested in the volatility part, you could just say that I am, you know, this is what the risk free rate is, and I want a certain premium. 
over the risk-free rate, right? And that, you know, depends on the individual investor. But um, collectively, the market decides, well, this is the sort of, you know, we're going to demand this much more on top of the risk-free rate. As the interest rate goes down, I think one of the things that happens is, well, that the, the, because the interest rate goes down, even if you keep your premium on top of the risk-free rate fixed, your total discount rate goes down. And as your discount rate goes down, so which basically means that future class cash flows are getting a higher weight, right? Because cash in the future is worth less and they're discounted by the amount that you use for the discount rate. As interest rate goes down, you know, the future cash flows become worth a little bit more today, right? And what is interesting is that even a small one percentage reduction has a big impact on not just your, you know, the usually people would model the first 10 years of free cash flow and use terminal rate has an impact, not just on the first 10 years that you would explicitly maybe model, it also has an impact on the terminal growth rate, right? And, you know, you, you could see valuation uplifts of 20, 25, 30%, depending upon the type of company and how much weight is there on the, on the, uh, on the front end and the back end of, of, of the, the free cash flow, the valuations change. So there's a valuation uplift that, that happens. But the other thing I want to point out, which is, which is sort of, uh, you know, if you, you want to take the, if you want to think, be a bull, you can say that, well, as the interest rate goes down, cost of capital goes down, which means there's more investments, right? It's easier to take a loan. It's easier to decide to finance a project. It's easier to get onto those projects that you want to go. But that causes more stimulus in the economy, which causes more growth, which could then drive earnings growth, right? So, and... And if you're thinking about earnings flow, you could also say that free cash flow, which is what we are really thinking about, should also go up, right? As if there's no recession, that's like the best combination because you have the discount rate going down, you should have earnings going or cash flow going up because there's more investment over time that's searching and inducing the economy, right? Assuming again, that you don't get a recession because of the higher, uh, higher rates yeah, in the I past. Well, I agree. And, and uh, maybe uh, even another way of looking at that is the stock market is always forward-looking, right? There, there's a short-term forward-looking element to this, and then there's a long-term forward-looking element to this. Uh, the first is, you know, in 2022, a couple of years ago, and even parts of 2023, it didn't matter if you had a good company or not, you were going to get hit by providing conservative guidance, right? You go out there and you say, capital's expensive, economy's slowing down, we're going to be very conservative on our forward guidance. And of course, what does the market do whenever you issue conservative gardens? It hates you. It hates you. And a good stock out there would sell off on earnings because nobody wanted to say we're going to be cautious out there. This is a short-term forward-looking piece. And then as you just mentioned, you know, the discount rate that is used for a lot of these sell-side models, these price targets that are put out there by institutional analysts, that if, if, you are, if you are lowering the discount rate, you are lowering the discounting of those future cash flows, uh, which is increasing the valuation of them over time. So there's kind of the short-term expectations getting the long-term um, actually weighting of, of the cash flows of a business. Both are favorable when uh, the Fed funds rate and the discount rates that were used uh, come down. So all, all things considered, this is the good time. This is finally a good time to be investing because it's, it's sometimes tough to beat the Fed in a tough macro like that. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. That's best try. Yeah, like, I mean, again, like the list, so, you know, when, they, when someone is investing in individual companies, I guess the important thing there is that um, valuation, you know, like stock could, a company could already be overvalued, right? Or, or could be undervalued. But in general, the, the point would be that, you know, one needs to be aware of the discount rate because the discount rate has an impact on valuation, right? And, and you can, you know, so something like you know, one could just do a simple spreadsheet, for example, uh, to work out, you know, the impact that the discount rate has in like a small 1% reduction. Like I was just playing around with a spreadsheet and said, well, you know, let's assume that my free cash flow at the beginning of the year uh, is uh, is um, a billion dollars and I'm the silver model for the first 10 years. And if I'm more than, say, 15% growth for the first year, this is just theoretical. And then a terminal rate of 3%. If I go, uh, if I have a 12% discount rate on that, my fair value works out to be something like $265. If I change that discount rate to 11%, shuts 1% drop, but it goes up to 305. This is the real impact that, you know, uh, that 1% can result in that much difference, right? It's just, again, it's something that if you play around with a spreadsheet, you realize that, yes, the discount rate has a significant impact on, on how we value companies. And, and of course, this is ignoring the potential impact that a lower rate can have on driving earnings or, or cash flow growth. So yeah, I think it's important for people to consider. Of course, you need to consider that it could be that your company that you're looking at is already significantly overvalued or is significantly undervalued. Yeah. And speaking of significantly undervalued, this, this is something that actually went into our team recommendation for December. Uh, we're not going to reveal the name of that. We want you to sign up for 7investing to see it, but it was one of Anirban's picks. It was one of his recent best buys and then just made a great case. It was extremely undervalued when you look at the business potential out there. Um, last question for you, Anirban. This is the million dollar question is, you know, all things considered, how is all of this influencing the types of investments you're making right now? You and I both like the tech sector. You know, we've looked at financial services. We've looked at kind of enterprise software a lot. Um, any, any, any sectors you think that benefit from this or types of companies that benefit from the, the state of the macro that we're in? Well, like, I mean, I, I think there's a range of, you know, so like even in each sector, there are a range of companies that I think we can consider, right? So, um, if you think about the tech sector, for example, the tech sector, especially enterprise, uh, SaaS, 
they've been hit in, uh, they've been hit pretty badly, largely because a lot of these companies have most of their growth baked into the future. And as the discount rate went up, that valuation compression was pretty significant, right? Now, that's not to say that some of these companies probably were overvalued at some point in time. Um, yeah, so that's, that's something to, uh, to consider. Is what has happened is um, sort of a double, double, you know, such a double action has happened. As the rates went up, all these companies actually pulled back on how they were spending, you know, so it's no longer go, 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 growth at any cost. People actually, the companies have become really focused on operating leverage. So as long as they maintain that operating leverage, actually good economic environment, the lower sort of, you know, uh, Fed interest rate environment is positive because it sort of helps that growth because, you know, ultimately enterprise size basically means that you're selling to other businesses. And if those businesses feel confident about investing in the future, then you sort of see that they're making those digital transformations. So I think digital transformations uh, overall should pick up. That's my guess. Uh, you know, there's been a, and you sort of see that, I guess, in the early phases of that, you see it in the uh, hyperscaler spins. So most of the hyperscaler have seen contraction of spending. And that's because what they've been trying to do is, you know, if, if companies have committed to say spending billions of dollars with them, then trying to make more happen with those billions without committing to further billions, right? So they've been trying optimization. But what the commentary right now is that those optimizations are probably coming to as far, you know, to the end as possible. Like you, you've squeezed out as much as you could and now to get to the next phase of your digital transformations, you really need to spend time, right? So I think, you know, sort of, we're coming from a phase of really solid optimization to a phase where you're going to get sort of the next leg of those digital transformations happening. Um, so I'm quite positive about digital transformation in general. I think digital transformations is great. Um, but you could, you know, even consumer discretion is any basically company that you think has been hit hard because um, a lot of their earnings were in the tail uh, should you know, see um, a benefit from the reduced rates. Yeah, I, I would agree in everyone. It's kind of the perfect segue and teaser for our next conversation that you and I are going to have, which is going to be about enterprise software, right? There was a lot of companies spending a lot of money in 2021, right? Snapchat or digital advertising, whatever you want to consider. And then now, like you just mentioned, operating leverage, you know, cash flows, mission critical, who's actually uh, going to be embedded in this long-term trend that is the digital transformation. I think that's going to be a great, topic for our next conversation. Uh, so Nirvan and Sydney, uh, good morning to you. I hope you have a wonderful day and thanks for being part of this episode of the Seven Investing Podcast. Thanks, Simon. And thanks everybody for tuning in this time. We'll be again next time. We're going to be talking about enterprise software in the next conversation between the two of us. We hope that you'll join us for that one as well. We hope you have a great week and we're here to empower you to invest in your future. We are Seven Investing.